good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Always have to be a little difficult, huh? We have some announcements. Wednesday, actually Thursday this week, we're feeding the homeless because Monday's a holiday, so they push it off a day. So it'll be Thursday this week. The next women's study is Thursday, September 15th. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. Good. Well, I, yes. Okay. That sounds good. The next men's study. Nobody's ever, nobody's ever taken a picture. I will take a picture. Next men's study is September 16th, Friday, 6 p.m., and then Saturday, the 17th at 9 a.m. Next youth night is Kylie. When's the next youth night? September 9th, six p.m. What's September 9th? Friday. No, I thought you guys were going to. Yeah, we're going to be gone. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, it's no youth night then. Thanks, Jerry. Well, I. She just I wanted to be rolling with you, but. Yeah. <laughs> And then we have the, the fun run and walk coming up in October, October 22nd. And Elizabeth, if you don't want to run or walk, they need help, volunteers, and help with the course and set up and clean up and all that good stuff. So even if you don't want to be in the fun run, you can help um, put it on. And it benefits the Alternatives Pregnancy Center. And then see you at the polls, September 28th, whatever school you're at. Nobody here goes to school except for me. Yes, but it doesn't mean they can't come be at the school. I didn't say that. Well, but if yeah. I get up early, yeah. yeah. And then sign up for email updates yeah. if you're not already signed up. So you can be in the know. We have a website now. So you can check that out. Uh, it'll be in the email update, but it's uh, it's www.thechurchne.org. And so there's a calendar on there. So hopefully anytime like we change a date or something, it'll be on the calendar. So you can always look that up. Well, let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together to focus on you, on your word, on your son, on the work that you do in each of our lives. I'm thankful for the way you made each one of us, that you have a plan and a purpose for us, that you chose us to become more like your son, to be set apart from this world, but to still be in the world, to be a light and a witness to you. I ask you to give us strength and courage and wisdom that can only come from you. I ask that you would guide us um, this day and this week. Open the doors you want us to walk through and close the ones that you don't. And you would um, just help us to be more like you. Grant us patience and wisdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 9. We'll start in chapter 9. 
yes, we're going to start with verses 1 through 3. I'm pretty excited about this one, too. I was pretty excited about the one last week. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited about all of them. But I'm excited about this one, because I think that this is a maybe a tougher area of Scripture that we'll get into here towards the end. Um, but I think God explains it to us very well when we press into His Word. So... So let's get started. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. With Christ is my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to forever be cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. So this is Paul writing. And he's just expressing how deeply and utterly he wants his Jewish brothers and sisters to become saved, to receive Jesus, to receive that gift of eternal life. He wants it so bad, it bothers him so much, it's so deep in his heart that he's willing to give up his own salvation if that would change anything. But it won't. You can't, you can't force anyone to accept Jesus. You can't... Uh, you can't pressure them into it. You can only speak to them um, and show them the work that Jesus has done in your life uh, and speak to, to them about what God's Word says, how much He loves them, and the choice is still theirs. Uh, and that's a, that's a tough thing to understand, a tough place to be, uh, that we all have this free will, that we can choose God or not, and... To look at it from God's perspective, God loved the whole world so much he gave his only son for us and still some would choose not to receive him. And God has paid all the price for us and how much his heart must hurt him that still some would choose not to receive him. So we'll continue on here in verse 4. They are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his powerful promises. So here we read that these are God's chosen people. Um, the Israel, the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. Now here in Romans, in the original Greek, the word chosen is not in there. But I do want to take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Um, and this is where, where God makes it very clear that the, Israel, the nation of Israel is his chosen people. And again, we're still talking about the word chosen because there's a lot of people that correlate chosen with salvation. And that's not the case. And we'll get to see that again today. Um, the chosen here, why God chose them and what does that mean? that he chose them. And does that mean that, that that is chosen and salvation are equal? And I think the answer to that is no. So we'll take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God, of all the people on the earth, the Lord, your God, has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart 
on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you from such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Understand, therefore, that the Lord, your God, is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. But he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. So this is important here. One, that we read that God chose them, not for any reason, not because they're special, not because they were numerous. He chose them just because he chose them. Um, that's his chosen people. And that, that God chooses to show his unfailing love to those who love him and obey his commands. But he does not hesitate to punish those and destroy those who reject him. Okay, so this is important because this is going to come up here later on. And we'll come back to this. But God chose the nation of Israel. He makes that very clear. But he chose them. He set them apart. And what he chose them for is he chose them to point people to Jesus. To point people to the Messiah to come. Which they would choose not to do. And not the whole nation. But the majority of them will choose not to point people to Jesus, not to receive the Messiah, not to receive God's free gift that we all get to receive. So we'll go back to Romans chapter 9 and pick it up in verse 5. But keep in mind here that God chose the whole nation of Israel, but we'll also understand today that not all of the nation of Israel is his children. Not all of them are saved. So again, chosen and salvation are not two equal terms in the Bible. So, Romans chapter 9, verse 5. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So God chose this nation of Israel, and he chose them a special possession, set apart. Um, it was through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through that lineage, that God chose to bring his son Jesus into the world. So the nation of Israel was to bring this Messiah into the world. God was going to use them to do that. And God was going to use them to point people to this Messiah, to the chosen one, to the Lamb of God, the one, God's one and only son. But again, they would choose not to. And this is what is breaking Paul's heart. Here the Messiah has come, the one they've been waiting for all this time. They should be pointing people to him. They should be rejoicing. And Paul's heart is deeply, deeply troubled that his fellow brothers and sisters, his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters, will not receive him. And will not show the world, will not point the rest of the world to Jesus. We'll continue on here, chapter 9, verse 6. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. 
For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, through Abraham and other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. So it's important. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. This son will be your an- this son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. So this is important that we read here that not even though God's even though the nation of Israel is God's chosen people, we read that more than once in the, in the Bible, that God chose the nation of Israel. But here we read that, that not all of the people, not because they were physically descendants of Abraham, who's the, the father of the nation of Israel, just because they were descendants of him, does not mean that they're saved, does not mean that they're God's children. So again, the word chosen and salvation are not equal. They do not go hand in hand. It's just it's important to understand that. God chose them. So then when we read in other places in Scripture, God's chosen people now, well, who did God choose? Well, God chose the whole nation of Israel, but they didn't all choose to receive him. Just like God chose the world. God chose to reveal his son to the entire world, but the entire world didn't all choose to receive his son. Does that make sense? So that's important. Um, And then... This is an area of scripture, these next three verses, that I think um, oftentimes can be taken out of context. And, again, the reason Jesus teaches in parables, he gives you this story. And if you just read at face value and walk away with it, and you're not pressing into the story, not pressing into the deeper meaning of what he's saying, you can be misled. Um, and I think we're going to get, well, I'm just excited to get into that. So, I'm going to read that quick before I put it up on the screen. Verses, Romans chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. But therefore they were born... I'm sorry, let me start again. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purpose. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, Your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of the scripture, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. So I think this is an area that often gets confused, and we'll break it up um, and go through it. Um, So the... To break it up, we'll look at verses 11 and 12. Um, and let's look at what did God say to Rebekah. And to find that, we need to go to Genesis chapter 25. And we'll start in verse 20. And we'll just see what did God tell Rebekah. So we've been told that, that, um, that she received a message from God. Um, and that she was told that your older son will serve your younger son. And then in verse 13, in the words of the scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. 
But again, we're just going to look at verses 11 and 12. And we're going to find that in Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 20. So when Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Amorian from Padan Aram, and his sister of Leban, Leban, the Aramean. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But when the two children struggled with each other in her womb, so she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and the older son will serve the younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and was covered with a thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. So here we read that God told her that your older son will serve your younger son, right? But we don't read anything about this, I loved Esau and rejected, or I loved Jacob and rejected Esau. We don't read about that here, right? Some people will teach that it was all in one, that, that God did it all at the same time, that before Esau was ever born, God rejected him. Um, but that's not the way it is. We don't see that God said that to, to Rebecca here, right? So I do want to, before we continue on down this road, I want to take a look. We're going to spend some time in Deuteronomy. We're going to go to chapter 32, verse 3, and just look at what does the Bible say about God's character. And God's character never changes. He's the same today, tomorrow, as he was yesterday. And so he's the same God in the New Testament as he is in the Old Testament. And oftentimes I think it's a, a, a demonic attack that makes it look like the God of the Old Testament is a very angry, mean God. Or that the Old Testament doesn't apply to us Christians. I think that's a, a pretty common attack that the enemy uses against us. And it's not true. The Old Testament absolutely applies to us Christians. The Old Testament is, is absolutely relevant in today's time. But God is not an angry God in the Old Testament. Um, I think that when you press deeper into, the, into his word and into his meaning, you'll begin to understand that, that he is a loving God. And he says that many times in the Old Testament. And he shows that in many ways through the Old Testament. But we'll go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting in verse 3. And just take a look at what is God's character. So, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. But they have acted corruptly toward him. When they acted so perversely, 
Are they really his children? They are a deceitful and twisted generation. So what is God's character? We read God's character here in verses 3 and 4. That I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. So he is always fair, always just. He does no wrong. God is truth. God is light. God is perfect in all his ways. All of his deeds are perfect. All of his actions are perfect. And so it's important that we establish that. That that is who God is. God is not an angry God. God is not an evil God. God doesn't tempt us into sin. We learn that in the New Testament. That he doesn't tempt anyone into sin. That the temptation is from our own selfish desires. So, and again, we already went over this, but I just want to go over it one more time. To Deuteronomy chapter 7, um, verses 9 through 10. So understand, therefore, that the Lord, your God, is indeed God. He is a faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. But he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. So we're, we're studying through Romans chapter 9 and we've gone through kind of this verse 11 and 12 where God gives this message to Rebecca that your older son will serve your younger son. But now we have this verse 13 right behind it. And the verse 13 says, in the words of the scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. So to go find that, we have to go to Malachi chapter 1. And Malachi is there at the end of the Old Testament. And this is where we'll find where God talks about, I loved Jacob and rejected Esau. Now, there's people that teach that that, that happened in the, the message that Rebecca got all at once in the beginning before they were ever born. Um, but that's not true. That's not where we find that. We find that here in Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. Um, but I would say to you that God knows who's going to receive him and who's going to reject him. He knew that before he created the world. He had it all, all played out. He knew everything that was going to happen. Nothing has caught God by surprise. There's nothing we've done that have caught God, by, caught God off guard or by surprise. Um, there's nothing that anyone else has done. He knows it all. He knew the sin that we'd walk into. He knew the decisions we would make. But he also knew that he would send his son to be a sacrifice for those sins. That we could receive him, receive eternal life, and receive his forgiveness. His unending love. His, um, his wiping our records clean. You know, removing our sins from our slate. Nailing them to the cross. He knew all of that also before he created the world. So... It does not catch God by surprise who receives him and who rejects him. So, in Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 2. So, Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, really? How have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob but I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for
for jackals. So Esau, we didn't go into it. It's a, a pretty lengthy story. But Esau and Jacob, we did read that they would, they would be at war with each other, be at odds with each other, um, and that ultimately the older son would serve the younger son. And um, if we're reading through the whole story, we would read that, that Esau gives up his birthright, gives up his first rights as sons for a bowl of soup. You know, and it kind of shows you that Esau really, um, he, he didn't have respect. He didn't honor God. He didn't honor his family. He kind of haphazardly does this. He comes in from, from being outside out in the field in the heat. And he says, I'm going to die if I don't have something to eat. Give me this bowl of soup. And Jacob says, okay, I'll give you this bowl of soup, but give me your birthright. Give me all your, your rights as the firstborn son first. And Esau says, that's fine. You can have it all. What gives it to me if I'm dead, if I die of starvation? So, so he, he haphazardly gives away his first rights. Um, and, and then from there on, you can see, but Jacob wasn't perfect either. Jacob goes through and, and manipulates to get Isaac's blessing at the end of Isaac's life, goes through and manipulates Isaac to receive this blessing. Um, and then from then on, they're at war with each other, Jacob and Esau. And you can see that, that Esau's life is a life that isn't honoring God, isn't being respectful to God. Um, and while Jacob's life um, isn't always honoring God, but he, he becomes that person. So here in Malachi chapter 1, verse 2, I've always loved you, says the Lord, but re you retorted, really? How have you loved us? And the Lord replies, this is how I show my love for you. I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. So we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 that the Lord lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands but he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. So I say to you that Jacob loved the Lord and that Esau rejected the Lord. And that nothing caught God by surprise. He knew that would happen. But that God did not declare before Esau and Jacob were born that he had rejected him. That didn't happen. That declaration didn't come till later. But God knew before they were born who would receive him and who would reject him. So... We will finish or we'll continue on here in Romans, starting in verse 9, or Romans chapter 9, verse 14. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So is it God who decides to show mercy? We can neither choose it nor work for it. So God's the one that chooses to show mercy. God's the one that chooses to show compassion. And he does it for anyone whom he chooses. And I would say to you that he does it in an effort to bring people to know him. To open their eyes to his love for them. And that there's nothing that we can do to work for it or earn it. It's just something he chooses to do, right? Right? Just like the nation of Israel, he didn't choose them because they were a mighty nation, because they were 
going to be so respectful to him because they were going to be so honoring to him because they were going to show so much love to them. No, he chose them because he chose them. Because that was in the best way for him to show us how much he loves us. That he chooses those who don't love him. And even though he knows they're not going to love them, he still chooses them. He still gives them that opportunity. And I think that you can see that in the New Testament with Judas. So God, Jesus, God on earth, chose 12 men to be his apostles. He had many followers, but he chose these 12 to be his leaders. And he knew before he chose them who would receive him and who would reject him. He knew Judas would betray him. And at the Last Supper, when he's washing the feet, he washes the feet of Judas, knowing that Judas is going to betray him and that he's going to suffer greatly for it. Would you really wash someone's feet that's going to do that for you? That's going to cause you great anguish and pain? No, but God does. Why? Because even though God knows that he's going to reject him, God does not write him off. He still gives him every opportunity to turn to him. Right? And God gives us that same opportunity. So who does God choose? Just like God chose Judas, but Judas didn't choose God. God chose all of us, but not all of us have chosen God. Right? So he chose us all. He sent his son to die for us all. And that's so, so important. There is not a select few. Um, there's another word, elect, that, that people like to say, oh, it's a select few that he's chosen or elected. No, no, no. He's chosen us all. He chose the whole nation of Israel. But we read here today that the whole nation of Israel didn't receive him. He chose 12 men, but not all 12 received him, right? And he's chosen the whole world, but not the not all not everyone in the world has chosen to receive him so it's very important the word chosen or the word elect and salvation are not a one for one they don't go hand in hand so there's nothing we can do to to earn god's favor to earn his um, mercy his mercy the work's already been done everything's been done by jesus on the cross all we can do is choose to receive jesus into our life choose to obey his commands and what are his commands? He summed them all up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love, your, love everyone around you, love yourself. That's his commands. If you do that, you've summed up all the law. And then you truly do show that you love Jesus when we love others. When it's, not, it's not easy, especially when people are, when people do things against us, is it? How easy is it to forgive them? How easy is it to pray for them and ask God to bless them? Humanly speaking, I'd say it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. So when our, our minds and our eyes are focused on God, then at that point, can we do these things that he's asked us to do? Can we pray for our enemies? Pray for those who persecute us. Pray for those who spitefully use us only because of the work Jesus did for us first. And we should never forget that. We're no better than anyone else. We're, um, our sins our sins, no different from anyone else's sins. They all separate us from God. All sin separates us from God. And the biggest sin that all of us had at one point in our life is not receiving Jesus. At some point in our life, we had to choose to receive him. So, But this whole idea, this concept... You know, they, they always serve this harsh God, you know. We, many times I've heard people teach in this section of Romans, especially between verses 11 and 13, that, oh, he 
See, even before they were born, he rejected Esau or some interpretation or some translations of the Bible will say, I love Jacob, but I hated Esau, which is a pretty harsh word to say, right? And so people have this idea that we serve this harsh God. And there's a, an area of scripture that I think clears this up. And that is Matthew chapter 25. And that's where we'll end today. We'll read through this, this area here. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. And this is, a, I'm sure we've all heard this area of scripture. It's a pretty common area, um, but I want you to, to think through it. Through the lens and through the eyes of what we just got done talking about, what we just got done studying through. So Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who re received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant, whom he had entrusted five bags of silver, came forward with five more, and his master, and said to his master, You gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? And at least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from, the, from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
So here we read that the, the first two servants go and then invest the money and, and earn more. Um, and the master's pleased, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord is what the, the New King James Version says. But here we receive this, or we see that this third servant doesn't do anything with the money, just comes and gives it back. And then says, well, I know that you're a harsh man, a harsh master. You, you gather crops you didn't plant. You, you, you're so, so um, evil and, and, and harsh and mean. Um, I, I was scared of you. And, and then we read at the end, he says, away with you into outer darkness and, and into that judgment, right? So what is the, is the issue here that, that this master really is a harsh master cultivating? Um, and and I, the answer to that is no. When he says, oh, so you knew? You knew I was this harsh man? It's, it's like saying it in a sarcastic way. Like, you really knew? You, you don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. And that's what I think oftentimes people do. People look at an area of scripture and say, oh, well, this is a harsh, evil, mean God. Evil might be a strong word, but this is a harsh, mean God. But the problem is that they don't know God. And that's what this story is telling right here. That they don't know God. They don't know the true God. They think they do. They know what the world's told to them, but they don't know him because they haven't pressed into his word, right? They haven't pressed into who he is. They've taken things at face value. They've taken things that other people have told them and, and they've received that to be this, this tough God, this God that's up there just waiting to strike them down, waiting for them to screw up just the least little bit so that he can wipe them out, so that he can punish them because he finds joy in that. But that's not true. That's not what we read at all. We serve a God who we read last week is long-suffering, right? That he's willing to be long-suffering for us. That he was long-suffering for us. That he put up with many of our iniquities, many of our failures, many of our shortcomings, many of our unbeliefs in him, many of our doubts in him. He put up with them all for a long time, longer than he should have, because he loves us that much. That he loves us so much that he sent his son. So, the problem is that the third servant did not know God. And because the third servant did not know God, did not receive his son Jesus into his life, he was cast away into utter darkness. He was not cast away into utter darkness because he didn't earn another talent or he didn't invest the money. Um, and the money is, is just a metaphor. It's our time, our talent, our treasure that, that God is after. He's given us all these different things to do for him, to ways to serve him. Um, and it's our choice to step out in faith and serve him with that time, that talent, that treasure that he's given us, the abilities that he's given us, even the ones we don't think that we have, that he still uses. He uses our weakness to make himself great, to make himself known by more. That's what Paul says, that it is Paul's weakness, this thorn in his side that God wouldn't take away, but God was able to use that thorn in his side to bring glory to himself. And that's what he does for us. So it's important that we don't look at God as this harsh God, this unloving God, this God that harvests crops that he didn't even plant. That's not the God we serve. That's what the world tells us and the world is lying, right? The world oftentimes wants to deceive us. Tell us that we're things that we're not. Tell us we need things that we don't. Um, that's what the world is after to lead us away from God, to make us ineffective in serving God. While they can't take away our salvation, the, the enemy can't, the world can't, 
the world can make us ineffective. So to finish up this, this point on chosen and salvation being a hand-in-hand -hand thing, if God chose some for salvation and not others, well, then that means he created people for to be thrown into hell. But that is not true. And since we're right here in Matthew 25, well, we'll just continue on. Yeah, so we'll continue on, Matthew 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me drink. I was stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous ones will go into the eternal life. So at the end time, Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats. Many people claim to be Christians. But those who truly follow him, who serve him, who live a life set apart for him, those are his sheep that will go into the eternal paradise, into the eternal life with him. But to the goats, to the ones on his left, the ones who claim to be Christians, but then when it came down to it, refused to help others, refused to love others, refused to serve others, refused to serve the least. And that's who we're called to serve, the least. Whoever the least is, not the greatest, but the least is who we're supposed to serve. When you refuse to do that, those ones that continued all their life that way will be thrown into the eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his demons. So God makes it clear right there in verse 41. Why did he create hell? It was prepared, it was created for the devil and his demons. So, not for us. That was not God's intention. It's not God's intention that any should perish, but that all should repent and receive him. So God chose the whole world, but the whole world didn't choose God. And our job is to point people to Jesus. By the way we live our lives, 
by the words we speak, by our actions, by serving others, serving the least of his kingdom, by loving those around us, the ones that God's entrusted into us, being that light and witness. That's what we're called to do. We're called to serve him, to serve the least of his brothers and sisters, because when we do that, we're serving God himself. We're serving Jesus. That's what he wants us to do, to love others with all of our hearts. So that's where we'll end today. Any questions? No? We need Kennedy here. Kennedy has lots of questions. I think we oftentimes can fall into this trap or this idea that God is a harsh God. And he is not. He is a loving God. And he has unending patience for us. He is very long-suffering for us. He suffers longer than he should, but is patient enough to let us, give us ample time to receive him our entire lives, right? And that's the God that we serve. We serve this very loving, patient, kind God, not this harsh master. I don't know a question, but there's, I don't know, this one's always kind of bothered me because it's like, and I I see it today even with children. It's like, why? I And we get into Pharaoh next because week. Children are innocent. Because that's the next and verse. Why? I mean, they're innocent. Innocent, but not. You're, you're already born into a broken world. I know. You know what I'm saying? I understand that. Yeah. I think I, I know what you're saying. There's mm-hmm. two. So, what may. Do, I don't know. It's, it's very difficult. I, I, you know, it's very, very. I always think to, well, I don't know how to put it, and I don't know if I'm going to say it right because I don't speak well. Um, it goes back to God already, already knows these things are going to happen. We make choices. We have that free will. Um, but also, I think there's things that happen that there's a purpose. It's, it's a, it's right. A, it goes back to that, what that purpose is. Esau didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that's, but that's the point. Esau did have a choice. Esau chose, chose to give up his birthright, chose to, to show contempt for God, chose to... Well, what um, I'm saying is prior to that. Well, but that's, that's the misconception that people often think is, oh, God made Esau the way. No, no, God didn't make Esau the way. God knew the path that Esau would choose. He, God knew every decision Esau would make before he created the world. God knew this. And God is only foretelling, giving this prophecy of what's going to happen that these two men will turn into great nations they'll be at war with each other. God didn't make that happen. God knew that would happen and is just telling Rebecca that. I'm going to tell you this ahead of time so that when it happens, you'll know that I'm God. So he didn't make that happen. But as far as the, the kids, the things that, that happened to them, 
one when, when well it is so one when a, a child dies you know we know that they're they're in heaven we know that because of the story of David and his child who died right so his child dies and at what age does that happen where you're in heaven I think that's different for every person I think it depends on the heart so so God is always just and I think anytime you come to these these tougher ones you have to go back to that Deuteronomy chapter 7 God is just and fair in everything he does he has a, a plan and a purpose and his plan and purpose is not a harsh God the the ones that that serve him and think that he's a harsh God they don't know him that's the problem that's why that's why that servant was was cast out into outer darkness into hell because he chose not to know God that was a choice that that servant made right but those who choose to know God know that he's not that way that he's not harsh and that he has a plan now the bad things that happen to kids um, we know some people that have had some awful things happen in their lives at a young age um, but then have later received Jesus and somehow are able to find comfort even in what bad happened but receiving Jesus so I how you explain that exactly I'm not sure if I can but I know that God can bring that comfort to them, that God can bring that guidance and that healing to them, that even those bad things that happen. And you have to remember that this is not God's original plan. This was not his idea. This was an evil world because sin entered into it. But he's going to come back and redeem it. And he's going to right the wrongs that he is just. He takes vengeance on everything, every situation. And just because he knows what's going to happen doesn't mean he's the one making it happen. And that's a misconception, a big misconception, if that makes sense. So it's not, he, he didn't make Esau the person he is. Esau chose to be that person. God just knew that, would, that was what he would choose. So, but oftentimes people come up with that verse 13 and, and put them all together. But we read that verse 13, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Well, that comes at the very end of the Old Testament. That's a, a long ways down before that gets said. So it's not all in one. And, and I think God allows that to happen. God allows it. God, God wrote the Bible. So he wrote verses 11 through 13 in Romans there all together, right? And if we choose to just read on face value, kind of like why he gives us the parables, why he teaches in the parables. Okay, if you're just going to read this and walk away and not try and understand or not press deeper into who he is, then what little understanding you do have, he says he'll take away. But those who press into it will have a deeper understanding. So we have that opportunity, and all of us do, to press deeper into what does his word really say. And his word really, he, he, didn't, he didn't curse Esau before he was born. When you, when you break it up, he, brought, he says that long after Esau had passed. You know, before Esau was born, all he does is, is give it. Rebecca the prophecy that your older son will serve your younger son. But the, even though those, those verses are consecutive, there's a lot of time in between them. And a lot of people teach that they're consecutive, and it's not. God did not say that to Rebecca. He didn't say that I love Jacob but hated Esau. He said that later. And this is long after their lives are over. But God knew what they would choose before they ever were created. He knows who will, choose, who will receive him and who will reject him. But he chose all of us. He chose Esau to receive him, but Esau chose not to. Cain's another one. You know, if, if you look at Cain and Abel on face value, it seems like, well, 
God's kind of a harsh God. He didn't really give Cain the opportunity. But if you press into it a little deeper and you look at all the Bible, and at some point I think we'll get to this story, you see that God is not a harsh God, that God did give Cain the instruction and the guidance he needed to serve him, and Cain chose not to. And not just once, but over his lifetime, Cain had this sin that kept separating him from God, and it grew further and further until it turned into murder. And it's the same for all of us. Apart from God, far enough apart from God, there's no sin we're not capable of. So, so I don't know if that explains it or if that helps. You have any questions? No? Let's, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together to learn more about you, your word, to focus on who you are, on your love, on your mercy, on your grace. That you are long-suffering for us. You're patient with us. You're kind. You're merciful to us. That you're not this harsh master. That you love those who love you, and we love you by obeying you. I just ask you to give each one of us a heart after your own heart. Give us a heart to love you, a heart to serve those around us, to serve not the, the greater people in our society, but to serve the least, to serve um, those who you've called us to serve, those who you call us to love, the people that you've put into our lives for a reason. You had it planned long ago for us to step into these good works, and I just ask that you would guide us into that now. I thank you for the work you do in each one of our lives. I ask you would guide us this week to be a light and a witness to you, open up those opportunities to serve others, to share with others the work that you've done in our lives. Guide us in everything that we do. I ask you to watch over our community, that you would draw this community closer to you. Give this community a heart for those around them. Give this state a heart for those around them. Change the, the hearts of this state. Change the hearts of our nation. Draw these hearts closer to you. It's in your mighty name we pray all these things. Amen.